Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 277. I am Benjamin Yoder, here today to talk to you about video games. What kind of video games? Well, let me tell you. I played a game this week. If you've been following me, you probably already know what that game is, uh, but I'll keep it a secret for you, for you, th- those of you with virgin ears who only listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, I got my CRT, so we'll talk about the fun, excitement, adventure of setting that whole thing up. And then also... We got some Tokyo Game Show news runoff. Um, basically, last week on Friday we recorded, and so there's some stuff that still happened on Saturday and Sunday that was worth talking about. Um, so there's a few little kind of follow-up stories and uh, some smaller stories here, and then also just a couple of smaller stories throughout the week. So I'd say for news, pretty light week this week, but you know, like like per usual, I try to focus on things that either are interesting or I have something to say about. So, anyways. First things first, I want to address something as soon as possible, because if you're watching the YouTube version of this, you're like, bet, what's going on? What's going on with the visuals here? Um, if you noticed, you can see my door in the background. Uh, my green screen is not reaching over where it usually does, and I haven't figured out what to do about this yet. So if, if you're watching the YouTube version, you will see there's a piece of desk that is protruding out backwards and this is limiting how far I can push the green screen over and you're like Ben why that wasn't there last week what happened well as I mentioned I got my CRT for if you for some reason you don't know what a CRT is like a tube TV right and it's a very nice and small one I was like really pleasantly surprised when I got the package and I lifted it up in the and uh from from my door when they delivered it I was like oh this is really light and I'm almost certain this is the CRT and sure enough it was it is very small nine inch CRT very lightweight. There's a handle on it. You can pick it up, move it. It's a uh, broadcast monitor. It's a BT nine or BTS901Y from Panasonic. So it's not like a Sony, you know, PVM or anything, but it has S video input, which is what I cared most about because my goal here, as I mentioned last week, is to record um uh PCFX footage off of this. I won't get into it too much because we talked about last week, but basically you know, aesthetics of a PCFX game can change depending on how you're recording it. If through an upscaler, through a, you know, CRT, I want to mess around with some stuff. I got to figure some stuff out still on how to utilize that because capturing a CRT is actually more complicated than it should be, strangely enough. But, you know, that's how life is, right? There's like refresh rates and then there's like glares and color like stuff that happens, color gradient stuff that happens. So I just got to sit down and work that out, right? So it's just going to take some time. I, I, It's going to be a little bit till the Sparkling Feather, or if I even do it in the Sparkling Feather video, for sure I would want to do it in the Farland Story FX video because that game's battle scenes, I think, are really complemented by the CRT effect, where an upscaler does not do them a lot of justice, I will say. So... So I got this little CRT unboxed and everything, and the unboxing for that will go up on Patreon at some point. Um, but where I wanted it to go was to my left, basically. So my desk setup is I have two monitors, one main one in front of me, one that floats above it, and then I have one on the right. And the one on the right, I actually like switch between using a switch for games. So it's technically, you know, I have a three screen setup for my computer, but when I play a video game, press the switch, swaps over to whatever HDMI input I have coming through. And then so basically when I'm playing a game, I only have two screens working. So I was like, I'm just going to put the CRT to the left of me. So I only previously had only half of this desk set up. So I had like one piece of it. 
However, this desk is actually an L desk. So um, there's a corner piece, but the corner piece also requires the other piece of the L desk to be connected. So I put the corner piece on and then connected the L piece there so I could put the CRT on that corner piece of this desk. And um, yeah, it, it works really well for, for that. And it also is really helpful because, because this is a broadcast monitor, uh, it sends the video signal back out. So when I have my setup here where I'm running things into my you know capture setup, um, I actually just have like one rogue S-Video cable that the PCFX thankfully just has a straight up S-Video port on it. It doesn't like have a, you know, some kind of like, you know, Nintendo 64 proprietary connector or something like that. Just a straight up S-Video cable goes straight from that to this TV back into the, um, the, uh, retro tink basically. And, and I don't even run the audio to the CRT cause I don't care. I just want that, that video to go to that CRT and I'll use the PC speakers for the audio basically. And, uh, yeah, it worked really well, um, and I was very happy with the setup. The problem was is that um, every step of this way introduced a new problem that I had to kind of address. And the other thing was that I just had – I had so – look, look. I love the dream of being able to play the thing within five minutes, right, like on the Xbox. However, having that many consoles set up without proper planning – is a nightmare and I never do the proper planning. And so I always rewire things and it's always bad. And like, it looks not so bad initially, but the further and further you get in, it's like, oh God, this is a nightmare. And then I think kind of the VGA box cable um, splitting um, on my Dreamcast. I won't get into the details of how that happened. You might be like, how does that even happen, Ben? Don't worry about it. It's fine. I damaged the cable. Let's just keep it like that. And like the, like the plastic cover of it, like, like cracked basically um anyways but uh i think that was like oh man i might be doing more harm than good setting all these things up and i had an issue with my retro tink recently that i was worried that might be due to cable strain due to all the cables you know running through there with all that stuff and i was just like all right let's take out these consoles that don't I'm not using regularly, you know, the Xbox, the Nintendo 64. Um, I forget what else there was, but I had a couple other things that the PSTV. I'm like, I'm not using these things regularly. Set them aside. Keep the things that are most important plugged in. PS2, GameCube, um, uh, Wii U, Switch, and uh, PS4 and PS3, which sounds like a lot already, but that's the stuff I most regularly use. And then I think I'm just going to swap in the other stuff as needed. Like I got the Dreamcast set up right now, but as soon as we're done with Mappletail, that thing's going right back on the shelf. So as much as I like to have everything set up, it just isn't really working for my setup. Um, and it doesn't help that I have more complicated configurations than most people because I have to run things through a bunch of upscalers into capture cards back out into monitors and that monitor switches between things. It's just a lot of stuff going on. So all that's to say that I had to reconfigure a lot of stuff and I ended up reorganizing my other room as well just because of how things were going. I just was like, I want to kind of rewire certain things, move things around and ultimately ended up kind of reorganizing my whole apartment because I added this one tiny CRT to my setup. So anyways, but so far it's been pretty good. I've been pretty happy with the tiny CRT. It's really accessible. It's really easy to take out of my setup as well. So if I want that desk space and I don't want this little box sitting here, easy for me to unplug it, go put it in my closet. No, no harm done. Um, I'm going to leave it out for now because I am using it for Farland Story. I'm just kind of like, you know, playing with it just to kind of, you know, work with it, make sure it's working fine and all that stuff. So every time I play Farland Story FX, which, I, spoilers, there's not a lot of updates to Farland Story FX beyond I beat the main, like, campaign and now I'm working on the secondary one. 
which thankfully is shorter. Each mission has been shorter so far, but that doesn't mean it's not going to get long again. You know, it's about 30 to 45 minutes rather than two to three hours. Um, but you know, towards the end of that campaign, we'll see what happens. Um, but I've been using that and, you know, I will be honest with you. I really can't tell that much when I'm playing that, like the difference, but when I go and look at the CRT versus the upscaler, I can definitely be like, oh yeah, the upscaler looks way muddier than the uh, CRT. So that's just the, the nature of those visuals and how they are. So anyways, we'll figure that out. Definitely the Farland story FX video will be represented in some way. Um, the sparkling feather video, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. It depends on how quickly I figure things out and also when the sparkling feather video comes out as well. So CRT adventures and I'll, I got to figure out a new stream setup somehow. We'll see what happens for now. Please enjoy the green screen being on fire right there. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, so, so I will, I will see what we do. I got to like have a stream set up here too. So it's like, it's more complicated than just, you know, moving the camera, because I have to also be able to, you know, use this setup for playing games as well. So, um, the game I played this week, as you may suspect it, as we talked about last week, um, was Babylon's Fall. I did. I bought that copy. I, I think. I think by last week I had already purchased the copy when I talked about it on the podcast. But when they announced that the servers were going down, I was like, I really want to play Babylon's Fall. If you don't know. I mean, this happens to me with a lot of games where, like, you know, I think a great example is Battle of Wonder World and Mighty Number no. 9. So many people went crazy about this game in, like, a very negative way. And when I looked at the game, I was just like, I don't... This game does not look bad in the way that people are saying it's bad to me. Um, that's not to say, you know, it's not bad or that, you know, people can't be disappointed or whatever... But, you know, people, you know, hyperbole is what gets people to click on the internet, unfortunately. But, like, people are like, this is the worst game ever, blah, 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 blah. It's like a tarnished, like, like gross thing that Square Enix and Platinum Games did or whatever. And it's just like, okay, let's take a look at this. But I did not buy it because there's, A, there's a demo available, and B, being a live game, I was like, there's no way I'm going to play this game long term so i didn't want to actually um buy it but like battle of wonder world i played that my number nine i played through those and like hey i was right i think my number nine is a great video game i think battle of wonder world is all right <laughs> i think there's interesting ideas in battle of wonder world maybe not the best game um and and, and when i played the babylon's fall demo um if you weren't around when i did that um i thought it was a pretty all right game like i think it's got some interesting ideas in it um i think the aesthetic is pretty cool and, and I think generally everything I saw in the demo for like the four to five hours I played, I was like, this is pretty, pretty cool. And if like, if this was a start to finish video game, I would play this. So them shutting it down means, okay, this is now a start to finish video game because no more content's coming. So thankfully I have been given permission by the Lord, um, to, uh, play Babylon's Fall. So I put it in and uh, a couple of things I noticed because when I played the demo, it was around the launch of the game. You know, obviously they've changed. They're in season two and things have, have changed. One thing that I am not a huge fan of that they changed right off the bat is that um, they changed the visuals yet again. So if you don't know, they had like a painter effect initially and like kind of makes this blurry effect. And personally, like I... I think the original look is actually pretty cool. I don't think it necessarily works in all situations, but I think it's a cool look. Um, 
I did not play that beta one where that visual style was was in full effect, though. They changed it, and then by the demo period, there was less of that effect on it. Um, so when I played it, you know, there's still some painter effects in the background, so it does, like, kind of blur over and create some, like, interesting texture work in the background still. Um, but more importantly, I think what was, was noticeable was, like, there was an overlay over the majority of the game, which showed these, like, paintbrush strokes and so no matter where you were looking, these strokes were on screen. And I really liked that. And I thought it complemented the game's kind of painterly aesthetic very well. Um, they have since removed that from the gameplay aspect of the game. And now it's only on cutscenes. And I think that's a real loss for that game. It's not a huge deal, honestly. It was kind of hard to even see in the first place unless you really stopped and like took in the, you know, the scenery. Um, but I really liked that look. And so to, that, that being lost, unfortunately, I think is, is a little sad, but, um, they also got rid of the accordion, uh, theme playing in the, the lobby. They switched it out for a guy playing the violin. Maybe it was a season to season thing that they were going to change anyways, but, uh, the good, the, the violin theme there is still very good though. It's a good, like taverny theme in, in general. So, um, and I think they may have also changed the underwater physics. I, I don't know this for sure because I encountered underwater in two different sections, one earlier on in the demo, and that really would slow you down. And there's a mechanic in that game that I, I unfortunately missed the first time where you throw these little like grenades and those grenades would create spaces in the water that you could fight normally, basically. Um, and I actually thought that was really cool once I actually got there. Um, but in, in the second level where I encountered the water, you basically moved full speed underwater, which would kind of remove that mechanic. So I haven't gone back to see if that stage has like special water that's slow and this later stage has less special water. Um, but but I, I think that may have changed as well. And I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if people just didn't like how it slowed you down. Because it definitely, if you didn't know about the mechanic, it definitely was just like, oh God, this combat has been slowed down by half essentially. So anyways... So, yeah, some of those changes I was kind of iffy about, um, but, you know, I think at the, this point, I, I don't blame them for just trying to do anything they can to make that game, you know, look better or, or at least play better. You know, they probably just wanted to make it as accessible as possible and and remove any barriers as, as much as possible. So I will say I've, I had trouble finding um, videos that conveyed that original aesthetic, though, because I, I feel like as they have kind of taken away more and more of these layers it's kind of made the game look weird in a way like i know people think the original game looked weird but i think it looks even stranger because it's like it's 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 like up close it's almost like a normal video game but then in the distance it's like this painter effect um and and it just i i think it lacks consistency now um from the removal of those aspects so it just makes the game kind of look weird and i understand that like you know that that's probably all they really could afford to do given how the game you know went um but it just it it didn't really i kind of personally wish there's just like a toggle to turn on the old effects back on or something just so i could see i tried to look up some like 4k trailers because that blur effect did not do any favors on like the youtube or youtube uh compression for 1080p video um that blur effect looks really like every video i saw that game like even just down to the like clarity of the characters in the middle of the screen um, would would just get killed by bitrate 
um, compression stuff. And I know some people will be like, that's just how it looked because it was blurry. I, I really doubt it looking at that YouTube footage. It looks more like YouTube could not handle the blur aspect and downscaled it. So um, I did go to like Square Enix's press website and downloaded some screenshots um, from, from you know, uh, uh, the highest resolutions they had. And so, you know, obviously these are promotional shots, so they want to make the game look as best as they can. And in those screenshots, it definitely does convey, you know, what the visual style is supposed to be and, 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 and how effective it is, I think, would depend on where you're pointing the camera in a lot of ways sometimes. Um, but yeah, so I, just, I was hoping they had, like, trailers from the, like, 2000, 2000 sorry, 2021 um, from the E3, uh, game where they, or year that they showed off the gameplay for that. I was hoping they had like a 4k version of that trailer, but I can only find upscaled versions of it. So all the online YouTube versions of that trailer are just compressed to heck. And I went to Scranix's uh, PR website. They used to make it so you could download videos from their PR websites and things like that. I just don't think anyone bothers anymore. So I just went straight to YouTube and you can set YouTube to 1080p, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's like at that original 1080p resolution kind of thing. That's why some people just like will upload at 4K anyways um, for 1080p videos sometimes. But yeah, I just couldn't really find any good looking 4K footage that wasn't from the later demos, which removed those aesthetics. So I don't know. I'm kind of curious, but I'm, I'm enjoying it for the most part. Like I said at the start, though, I think it's an interesting game and I think it plays perfectly fine. Um, I do need to kind of like go back and review what the microtransactions for that thing were, because when I was playing the demo, I was just like, I don't. The microtransactions do not seem to matter. Um, and in playing the game now, I'm like, the microtransactions do not seem to matter. But that doesn't mean they have changed things since then. So I, I might need to go back and look and just kind of review what was actually purchasable um, initially. Because they may have moved things over from microtransactions to the in-game currency or something like that instead. Or the the earned currency, I guess you would call it, rather than cash currency or whatever. I don't know. It's like Gares versus like Conches or something like that. So I think I probably also will do a Babylon's Fall video, honestly. I just think it's worth doing a video about it. It might honestly, more than anything, extend out to be like a Square Enix, like, hey, calm down, people <laughs> video. I think people make big fusses about Square Enixes in ways that it's kind of overblown a lot of times. Like, I'm not saying Square Enix is a good company. I'm not saying that they make great business decisions, but I think they they're an interesting company at the very least, and they at least try a lot of different things. And I think I said it last week, like sometimes you just need a quiet man with your company. Like that makes your company more exciting, in my opinion, as somebody who's been staring at video games for too long on the internet. <laughs> so um, so I think, I think I probably will do like a Babylon's Fall video and try to get it up at least around the time the game shuts down. Uh, I want no later than like a month out from then, but I would like, I prefer it to be earlier than that. So... I also had to go and download some stuff from their Twitter account because uh, Square Enix tends to shut their Twitter accounts down for when, when they shut down games. So if there's anything you want off the Babylon Falls Twitter account, go get it now because it will be shut down, I guarantee you, in February at the very least, if not sooner than that. So And yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of things I played this week. You know, the Farland Story adventure continues um, and the Babylon's Fall adventure will continue. And maybe Fancy Star Online 2 New Genesis. I hope we'll see what happens with that. We'll see. A couple of like channel updates here real quick as well. Um, one is my KomoriCon panel got accepted. Uh, I am almost certain I will be there. I went ahead and purchased the plane tickets for that. So I will be up there in Portland yet again after Portland Retro Game Expo uh, doing a panel there. Um, it is just a panel version of my um, being positive about collecting games in the modern day. 
um, or purchasing retro games and things like that. Uh, I think that's a really good video, honestly, personally, and I think there's a lot of value to that video. And I think it really stands out in comparison to a lot of other collector videos online, which focus more on negativity um, with collecting. So I, I think it's a, a good panel to do um, because that video didn't do a lot of traction. And I think it's a good way to kind of reuse that. And with Portland Retro Game Expo being up there, I think there'll be some interest um, from people up there. So um, I don't know what day I'm going to be on yet. Um, they just gave me the pre preliminary like, hey, cool job. Yeah, panel looks good. We'll, we'll put you in there somewhere at some point, probably. So I uh, still got to get my hotel and stuff set up. But for now, at least. I did have to also get more expensive tickets because I needed to carry on to get my tripod and everything on there for the camera. So very exciting. Um, fun times. <laughs> the other thing I want to mention, and, you know, I mean, I talk about YouTube stuff all the time, and I probably shouldn't be so forthcoming about it. But I think it's worth mentioning here on the podcast. I think most of you listening here probably are more engaged with me personally in the channel dynamics. Um, I think there's a very good chance there will be a channel split here in the near future, uh, two to three months out. I think what the plan is, is to basically split the channel into the primary premiere video channel, which will focus on just like scripted videos, um, and doing one of those every month. And then I'll have like a commentary channel. And that's where this podcast will come into play. That's where the streams will come into play. That's where unboxings will be me looking at Japanese commercials, I just think the type of content is so different um, that, and you know, like my main videos, I don't think people come to my main videos as a personality, from a personality perspective. They come from like a wanting to learn perspective. And so when they subscribe, I think they kind of get more than they bargain for in some ways. And for some people, I think that works. You know, I think a lot of people listen and come to the streams because they found me through those main videos. Um, but I think it might just be better to separate those channels out um and there's like a another thing happening as well that i don't want to talk about too much but i'm making plans for another thing that might technically be too much stuff at the end of this year so i think i think i will have made a decision about that before the end of this year but um i'm gonna push off doing it for now just because i want to kind of make sure everything lines up well um, and I'll keep you guys up to date on that. And if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, nothing will change. If you're watching the video version on YouTube, you'll have to go to the other channel to get that um, video version. And the content, I think, at least right now, my plan is for the content to largely be the same. So we'll see. It's Patreon time. Welcome to the Patreon corner. Did you know there are four people who support me on Patreon? Thank you so much for people who support me on Patreon. That includes Paul Daniel. That includes Jillian. That includes... Henry Dagger, and it includes a mystery, discreet person. Who could it be? Only, only certain people know. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so thank you again for your support to the channel. Um, if you support at the $5 levels like they have, uh, you get bonus videos. Uh, last week I had part of my, part two of my Kaminazo playthrough uh, go up. We largely, I think as a part two, we're largely still going through what the stream content had covered before, but I think starting with part three, um, that's where we start doing some new content. So if you're like, I am interested in seeing you play Kaminazo, but I already watched you do it on stream, so I don't want to rewatch stuff. Starting, I think next month is when that Kaminazo part three comes out. That's when that will come into play if you're interested in that. Again, the end goal is to make a Kaminazo video, um, but just got to try to finish that game before the end of this year. But I need to record it in a stupid way anyway, so might as well upload it to Patreon if you guys want to watch me 
go through that and i and i talk during it too so i go through my mental process you can see me be dumb and not know how to do math at times and be like i don't know i'm gonna use a calculator because i can't do simple math anymore in my brain <laughs> so 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 yeah but uh also if you're a part of the patreon you can ask a question like jillian has as Jillian does every week. Thank you again, Jillian. Jillian provided us another bucket of questions to add onto our list here, although we're going to finish up our initial set of questions. Again, if you want to ask a Patreon question, all you got to do is go to the post that goes up on Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific time and either reply with your question to that with in that post, or you can DM me if you want to make it anonymous for any reason as well. Jillian asked the question, do you consider yourself more of a gamer or a collector? And I think this is a pretty easy answer on my side. I think before this was maybe a harder question to answer. But as time and time has gone on, I think it's pretty clear to me that like the physical ownership of games is mattering less and less to me as time goes on. I still value it and I still like it. There's a lot of good things about owning a video game in terms of, I think, focus like making sure it's like, this is my library of things and here's my to-do list because my to-do list is the games I own, not all video games of all time, right? Um, obviously there's different layers of that, right? So like uh, there may be something on my to-do list that I don't own yet, but things that are in my collection are gonna be a lot more, you know, short-term relevant. And I think there's like a, a comfort I get out of that. Also just being able to like set it up really quick and well, depends on the game, right? And depends on the console and the the, the state of that console and how how difficult it is. Like, like my PC98 games obviously are a nightmare to set up. Uh, but but uh, the the for most things, you know, there's a nice like comfort being like, I can just set this up five minutes, boom, 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 ready to go kind of thing. Um, and I just like also being able to scan stuff if I need to, refer to the manual. I think I do like the ownership of like a disc to some degree just to be like, this is something I have and I, I, I own with it. But more and more that stuff is getting set aside for the experience, right? I don't think I'll feel any less of Napletail when we're done by the fact that I no longer, that I do not own a copy of Napletail because it's just too expensive. Um, and I think any any moment of my life, if you said, Ben, you can only play the video games you own for the rest of your life and everything outside of it would no longer be accessible or you have to get rid of your entire collection, but you can still access all games digitally through SD cards, through flash cartridges, things like that. I, I don't, I don't, I would not question that for a moment. I would go ahead and just go straight over to the digital only world. Um, it's just when I have a choice, right? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, there are reasons why. But like, but when it, like the digital only world in, 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 in the freedom sense of like being able to get anything, right? Because the reality is like, I would not want like a digital license only world. That would be a nightmare, I feel like. Um, because then you're like, you know, stuck with whatever's currently available, um, I would, I, but I, I like, you know, if I, when Nintendo shuts the 3DS eShop down, I, maybe not everything, but the majority of those things I can access in some way, right? I just have to do some, some work around finicky, fin, fin, finagling, um, to, to work that out. So, um, yeah, I think for me, I'm definitely much more of a gamer than I would, am a collector, I would say. I think the collecting aspect fuels the gaming aspect, and I don't think I would care about collecting if I did not, you know, intend to play the game. 
Um, I think there's always a, there's always a line, and everyone goes you know back and forth on that line. And I think anyone can be anything, right? You can be anywhere on that spectrum that you want to be. You can always have the plans to play games, but never do it, just like me in a lot of ways. Um, or you can be on the other side of it, of just like I, you know, do not collect much, but I play a ton of video games. Like like as long as you're having a good time and enjoying yourself, I think that's what's important. Um, but for me personally, I would say definitely more of a gamer than a collector. Um, I, I just do not value collecting all that much. I don't think I, I value collecting from a gaming perspective, I think. And if I, if I, if something gets priced out and it's like $300 and I'm like, I'm not buying it. The, the only issue is that I am more likely to prioritize a game that I can, um, afford, um, and, and get over, over something that's ridiculously expensive. Um, like burning Rangers is not on the top of my mind. I would love to play Burning Rangers, but if I can play something else in my collection that I already got for 10 bucks, I would rather go play that than play something I don't own. But if I needed to play Burning Rangers, if I if I needed that experience in my life, I'm 100% okay, you know, running that thing off of Saturn with that SD card slot on it, right? That doesn't matter to me. So, so yeah, I think that is my answer for you. So thank you again, Jillian, for the Patreon question. I appreciate it. Thank you guys again for supporting me via Patreon. I also appreciate that. Patreon Corner is done. It's time for news. Lots of follow-up stories to last week, so I'm not going to go into full details about each of these. So if you do want to hear my complete thoughts on Tokyo Game Show and you did not listen to last week's podcast, you should listen to last week's podcast. I do want to follow up on Dragon Quest, The Adventure of Die. They did show like a gameplay stream that they did. Um, and in, in looking at that, they did show that the other characters running around are AI companions, not multiplayer. So I had mentioned last week, I did not think it'd be multiplayer. Um, and sure enough, what they were showing was just single player stuff. And um, you can switch between the different characters using like, I think the L and R buttons or something kind of freely. I will say like, I don't really swap characters very much in action games um, unless there is like... Between battles, I will. Like, I want to play a different character, I will. But for that actual fight, I will almost always just stick to the one character. Um, I, th- I did the same thing in Xenoblade Chronicles 3 as well, although I didn't find much of a reason to need a swap in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Either way, it still looks pretty neat, and I, I still hope it turns out pretty well. No release date still in that game, though, so we'll see when it actually comes out. What did get a release date, though, I think this was not revealed before Tokyo Game Show. If it was revealed beforehand, here's a quick little reminder for you. Uh, Dragon Quest Treasures is coming out on December 9th. That's that kind of like, um, I don't know if you call it like platforming, more like a search kind of game, search and hunt kind of thing, where you have like these little monster companions that help you find treasure in the world, and you do like little base building kind of thing where you level up your, I think they're called, I think they call you like a gang or something, and so they're like, level up your gangsters or something like that. <laughs> the language they used for the uh, video was pretty, pretty goofy for that, but anyways, I'm looking forward to that. I, I was like, I don't think there's anything else I really plan to get later this year, and I forgot Dragon Quest Nine or Dragon Quest Treasures was one of those games that I will plan to get this year. So I think I will give that a shot and hopefully during the holidays, I will give it the time it needs. Um, one thing I did mix up last week, and I don't know if I even kind of suggested this on stream at all or on the podcast at all, but um, after the fact, I realized uh, Yakuza Ishin, or sorry, Like a Dragon Ishin, I'm sorry, Like a Dragon series that we all know and love. Um, the Like a Dragon Ishin, is not the game I thought it was. So there are two Feudal Japan games on the PS3. There's one that came out very early in the PS3's life cycle, and that one was called Kenzen. Um, and then there was Yakuza Ishin, like a Dragon Ishin, that came out 
late, and it was like a cross-generational game. So it was a PS3 and a PS4 game, which is kind of funny they're remaking a PS4 game for the PS4. <laughs> but I thought this was Kenzen. Like, in my brain, it made sense. Do the first Feudal Japan one, remake Ishin later, man. Uh, no, they are not doing Kenzen, apparently, or at least not right now. Um, the developer said, basically, they would need to change some story stuff for whatever reason. I don't know what the reasoning was. They had to, but they said they would need to change it, so that take cost money. And they also said people do not like Kenzen nearly as much as Ishin. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's kind of disappointing. I thought this was Yakuza Kenzen. I wanted to play it because it was the first one, probably. So I'm a little mixed on... How to handle that. Because um, I could play Yakuza Kenzen. Um, however, there's no fan translation for that game yet. There's one that is supposedly in the works. I went and looked at the guy's blog about it. And the last update he's had was in 2021. In December, somebody asked him, is this still alive? And he said, yes, it is. And then has not said anything since. So so maybe it's coming. Um, however, um, there are a couple different ways you can handle handle uh, Kenzen specifically. Um, because there is a full translation of the story online. Um, that was uploaded to YouTube. So what I would think might be a good approach to that game, if you do want to like not wait for a fan translation, is um, basically have the cutscenes up on YouTube, and then when you play the game, maybe try to see if you can use machine translation for like the the dialogue that's just kind of like roaming around town kind of thing. Um, you like I think the playthrough that they uploaded may be like a straight playthrough, so you might be able to try to you know follow him around and get the dialogue that way. But I wouldn't want to play the game that way. That sounds like a nightmare for like a Yakuza game. Um, so I think that I'm split now. Now I'm like like I was like I'm all in on getting Yishin, but now I'm like maybe I should play Kenzen first. <laughs> but it didn't sound like based off the interview that they did with uh, I think it was with Games Radar or maybe Games Radar just translated. I have to double check, but um. It didn't sound like they were very interested in revisiting Kenzen, unfortunately. So, rest in peace, Kenzen, I guess. Uh, now I am immensely more interested in Kenzen than I am Ishin. <laughs> so, so, we'll see what happens. I'm kind of in a weird point with Yakuza series where I, I like Yakuza 3 a lot. It is my favorite Yakuza. It's definitely maybe the weakest of them, but I, I like it because of the things it does that's weird. And when I look at Yakuza 4 and onward... Other than Yakuza 7, I'm just like, I kind of don't know if I care about the rest of the series. Um, I know Yakuza 0 is good, and the time period's different, which is nice as well. But I don't know how excited I am to check out Yakuza 0. So I'm at this kind of weird point in the series now where I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I might, and like, I think realistically, there was very little chance I was ever going to play through Yakuza 1 all the way up to 7 before I die, right? I'm playing these games at a very slow pace. I played the PS2 Yakuza 1 back in like 2010. I played Yakuza 2 in like 2018. And then I played Yakuza 3 this year. So like I'm not going at a brisk pace with these games. They're coming out more often than I'm, I'm playing them. <laughs> so, so I need to kind of figure out my Yakuza plan, I think. Um, but I think Kenza now suddenly has become part of the Yakuza plan in a way that I was not expecting it to. Um, but at the same time, because it's getting kind of like black sheeped out, I'm like, oh yes, I kind of want this more. <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. I don't know how much a copy of Kenzen costs. I have not modified my PS3 to play import games. So it might be kind of fun to do, but at the same time, I'm going to guess somebody's already done a video on Kenzen. So that also kind of lowers my priority level of it quite a bit too. If I don't have like a YouTube reason to check something out. So Speaking of people wanting to skip over video games, Arm Fantasia, this is that Wild Arms, a spiritual successor that's uh, got kickstarted recently. The developer for that basically said that, hey, 
publishers are not really willing to take risks on new JRPGs anymore. Um, they specifically cite going to Sony multiple times and then basically saying no, which I will say, you know, if you're talking to Sony in the modern day about doing a JRPG, think in the last three or four years, probably a lost cause. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I could see why they would go to, to Sony at the very least, given their history with Wild Arms being with Sony and things like that as well. Or at least in the U.S. I don't know if they published it in Japan. I think they did, but I could be wrong. Anyways, um, but yeah, I kind of it's kind of interesting because they did talk a little bit about like, hey, well, Persona's still successful, and they're like, yeah, but Persona's on its fifth entry now. People don't want to make new JRPGs, and you know, I didn't go and do the research on this. I do feel like there are new JRPGs happening, but I think the budget level is just significantly lower. I think what they want to make is something probably closer to like the budget of a Persona game or a little bit below that. And I think the problem is that other JRPGs are a bit lower than that, honestly. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Um, it is still kind of funny that they're like, hey, no one's willing to take a risk on a new JRPG. But then like a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the uh, lift from this probably came from the fact that it's a Wild Arm successor, right? So it is kind of leaning on the <laughs> previous series and not really taking a new, a new approach. Although I feel like Penny Blood maybe is more distinguished versus like a uh, shadow hearts. I could be wrong about that. I don't know a lot about shadow hearts, but Penny blood does feel maybe it's Penny blood reminds me a little more of killer is dead than shadow hearts, honestly. But as somebody who has not played shadow hearts, can't say too much, but yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, a given though, given they went to Kickstarter, I think a lot of developers will start with publishers, probably a safer way to, you know, get a game made versus Kickstarter, especially in the modern day. There was like the Kickstarter boom that happened, um, but I think we're pretty well past that. I don't think you have games just like getting funded on Kickstarter willy-nilly now. Too many people, I think, got burned in different ways. So Mighty Number no. 9 specifically. While I like Mighty Number no. 9, the game, cannot speak for the Kickstarter. I was not a part of it, but people did not seem happy about that Kickstarter. So Square Enix, though, they are taking on fresh new ideas. <laughs> they're, they're still in this NFT game, apparently. I'm kind of surprised. I feel like most companies have backed off from NFTs and crypto in general, um, probably for good reason, given the market has kind of bottomed out in a way. But Square Enix is still pushing strong on these NFTs. I think they shipped some figures recently with like NFTs attached to them. I really highly doubt how... I just don't know the value or something like that. It seems very unvaluable in that situation. But uh, the main reason we're bringing this back up, though, is that we are maybe the only podcast still following the Million Arthur saga. Um, if you don't know, last last what happened with Million Arthur, the hit Square Enix franchise Million Arthur, actually was pretty big for a while. They had a development team dedicated to Million Arthur content. They made a bunch of like RP or uh, mobile games, and then they made that fighting game on PC and a VR game. And uh, unfortunately, I think they just pushed too hard, and uh, the franchise kind of collapsed on itself in a lot of ways. But the original mobile game, I think, was fairly successful. And there's like a fun little like animated series on YouTube that was really fun um, that visually people like the style of. And these NFTs are very heavily based off of. But anyways. So they're still pushing forward on these Million Arthur NFTs, which normally I wouldn't say anything about. But what's worth mentioning is that um, they apparently are going to try to attach some game to this thing. So there is like gamified NFT games out there. I haven't seen a lot of value in in them personally, honestly. Um, as somebody who's a game person, I speak this from video game aspect, not the value of monetary stuff. Again, I don't care about the money aspect of this. Um 
so I'm kind of curious what they plan on doing, but they didn't say anything about it at Tokyo Game Show. They showed off like some pixel art and they're like, hey, look at these characters. And it's like, okay. <laughs> so, so they said they're going to try to do something by winter 2022. Um, so I'm curious to see what that's going to be. I do not expect much. I expect whatever this will end up being will not be very successful probably um i'm gonna guess whatever they're doing is just like we have to keep pushing through because already invested enough money in this so just shovel this out see if anything happens maybe the market recovers before we're done and then and then push it out kind of thing so um but they the one thing that they did say and again i don't know the value of something like this from a gaming play perspective again um, is that they do want to basically have it where if you purchased a Million Arthur NFT, it would track who the first owner of that NFT was. So basically, you know, looking at the transaction history, I guess they picked the first person. And I guess in some way they're, and I should know, this is all like in a four gamer article that I machine translated um, for this one. It seems like they want to basically have it so each item has a signature by the person who originally purchased the NFT. Um, this is not necessarily a new idea. There's like things in like Final Fantasy 11 where you get special crystals to sign items in that game as the person who makes that gear. Um, there's not a lot of value to it in my opinion. I mean, I guess if there's like a celebrity market in the Final Fantasy, I mean, today probably in Final Fantasy 14, I, I assume there's probably like a signature element in Final Fantasy 14 as well. There's probably some underwear out there somewhere with my name on it, honestly knowing. If you didn't know, in Final Fantasy 14 1.0, I was the underwear king. I made everybody fresh underwear because people would not upgrade their underwear because there's only like one underwear to upgrade to and it gave you like one extra defense. And I'm like, boy, oh boy, come here. I'm going to weave together some underwear for you. And I gave it out for free because it was dirt cheap to make. So I just go and trade people fresh underwear. Um, and if I could sign it, I'm sure I tried to sign it and gave it to somebody at some point. Um, anyways, but like, there's not a lot of value in something like that, I imagine, unless there's like some celebrity market in, um, you know, uh, Final Fantasy 14 today where it's like, oh, I have ninjas crafted panties or something like that, right? Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's things that are already in games. I think that's the thing that I always kind of come back to is like th the things that people are trying to push with NFTs for games either already exist in games in some way or the idea is not realistic in today's space regarding transfer of items between different video games right um are we in a position today for that to be more likely to happen with like similar engines between a lot of games yeah i think so but we're not there and and so like the idea of like carrying ownership of an item between different video games is it's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense right now, I think. So I still really question anything Square Enix is doing with this. Um, again, we're mostly following this because of the Million Arthur saga at this point. But we'll see. I'll I'll look at whatever they make and we'll talk about it on the podcast. And maybe it will be a very cool video game that uses NFTs in a novel way. But uh, yeah, man, good luck on that. I mean, we'll see. I, I try to keep an open mind about this stuff. If you can impress me in some way, I will I will partake in whatever you're doing. But um, I'm not convinced based off what I've seen of the NFT market so far. So this next story is actually not really like the news story itself is not that exciting to me. But like, what could possibly come out of this news story is actually pretty cool. And that is um, the Xbox PC app. I don't know anybody who uses it. Someone does, I'm sure, um, is getting how long to beat integration. Um, 
I use How Long to Beat a lot. Uh, basically, How Long to Beat is a website where you can go and people say, it took me this many hours to beat a video game. And they add all those, or you know, average those out. So if you go and say, how long is it to finish Imagine Ice Champions on the Nintendo DS? You can go there and be like, it's like five hours because eight people said it's like a, you know, they finished near between like three and eight hours, something like that. It's a great thing to me, like for me to know what I'm getting into before I start a game, especially if, again, when it comes to YouTube pipeline stuff, I have to worry about like what I'm playing when and making sure I have stuff finished by certain times and things like that if I want to have a video at a certain time. So like sometimes knowing this is going to be a 20 hour video game, very helpful. Um, and so as somebody who doesn't use the Xbox PC app, that's not very helpful, but I would be curious to see if this would ever get integrated directly into Xbox. Um, I do not use Xboxes either really, so it would not help me there, but on like the PlayStation, I think that'd be a really cool thing. Admittedly, like it's very rare. I'm at the point that I would like look at, like I'd boot up a PlayStation and go, how long each of these games are. But I think it's like a cool thing to be like, oh, it's like a 15 hour experience I'm going to get into. Um, I do like articles that like start with like, this is going to take like five minutes to read if you're like an average reader kind of thing. It's just like a nice way to just go like, okay, cool. I can just, you know, this is how much time I know I got to dedicate to this. I will shove this in my life, do it, and then we'll be done with it. So I just thought it was a nice idea and something I really never thought about. And honestly, I don't think I would use very often. Um, so I don't think it will be very successful, or at least I don't expect it to see, you know, it, um, you know, in any major way in the future. But, you know, I hope, man, I don't know. I would, I would prefer it to be there than not be there, honestly. So, um, speaking of Xbox as well, and things probably not coming to the Xbox console, um, although, although Phil Spencer insists otherwise, uh, Final Fantasy XIV um, is still not on Xbox, if you did not know. Um, I kind of forgot that this was an ongoing thing, so forever ago, forever ago, there was talk about Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy XIV coming out on Xbox 360. Um, it never happened. Um, and then I think when around the Xbox one generation started, they were like, we're going to try to get this on Xbox again. Um, still never happened. And Phil Spencer was asked about it recently. He said, yep, we're still trying to make it happen. No details on when. <laughs> so I don't really know what the holdup is other than just probably development resources and like the actual number of players you would get in from Xbox. Um, it might not, you know, be, be that big. Um, however, you know, it is one of those things that it is just the, the longer Final Fantasy 14 goes not being on Xbox, the weirder it is given like how every other video game, like that is like a live game, like Fortnite or things like that is on every platform imaginable. Um, admittedly you don't have Final Fantasy 14 on like mobile or something like that. Right. But mobile is kind of a different space where you can pretty, pretty much one-to-one -one tack on like the design aspects of like the game controller aspect of Final Fantasy 14 from PS4 onto Final Fantasy 14 on Xbox 360. Some slight differences with the touchpad and all that stuff, but you can mostly get there. Obviously, the actual programming side of things is a whole other thing. Um, but I'm just kind of surprised to see that that it's still not there. I just hadn't thought about it. And then Phil being like, we're getting to it eventually, guys. Maybe <laughs> we go like, oh yeah, that's probably still not happening anytime soon. Until they have like a actual announcement coming up um you know if they're just getting asked in an interview and saying it's still going to happen at some point that's usually not the greatest sign that it's happening anytime soon <laughs> I, would, I would say probably more than anything you'd probably be a bit more hush about it if it was happening sooner rather than later so and one last thing i want to do is uh these aren't really news stories we normally would talk about but i think it's worth mentioning is uh grand theft auto 6 and diablo 4 had gameplay that leaked the reason I want to mention them is not to talk about what was in the 
actual footage itself, honestly. I mean, you can go look at them, and honestly, to me, they're like, okay, this looks like Grand Theft Auto. This looks like Diablo. Check, check, boxes checked. Popular franchises getting another entry. Usually going to look very similar. Very few cases where that's not. I think Street Fighter VI is a good exception more recently. Uh, and I think most fans want that in most cases. Depends on a lot of different things, right? Um, but I think most Grand Theft Auto fans and Diablo fans are just looking for a good one of those, probably. Um, but people had negative reactions to these, saying like, oh, the graphics look bad, the animations look bad, and also, like, somebody was like, the UI looks like Watch Dogs UI. Um, you know, if you are one of those people, and I would hope that, like, I would hope most people don't need to hear this, but, you know, that those games are still in development, they were not meant to be shown in that form, so, you know, I'm not saying that you need to be excited about what you saw, I mean, like I said, they just look like more of that franchise to me but i don't think it's really worth like making a determination of those games quality or visual quality even um at this point because it's just a you know development build right um i i think part of me always kind of wanted to believe that whenever i heard the thing of like oh we have to show we couldn't like bring people on the e3 show floor or like show this demo that was from behind scenes because people won't understand that game, what game development looks like and how these things, you know, come together and what they look like as they come together. I think part of me always was hoping that that would never be, that wouldn't be a problem. And so, and that would be unrealistic to think that'd be a problem because people would understand. Um, but seeing kind of the negative reaction to these and people being like, oh, this looks terrible. Um, makes me be like, well, actually, okay publishers are probably right to hide these demos ahead of time because it's just a nightmare to you know to navigate that i think there was like some issue where like rockstar's stock price dropped and everything you know it's a whole thing so anyways all that not, none of that matters i don't care about the stock price of rockstar or whatever um but just a good reminder that like hey if you looked at those things and you're like this this did not look like what i wanted to be you know uh, just hold up a little bit right wait to see what they want to show um i'm not excited about these games but whether they looked fully polished or not they 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 probably won't excite me unless they really do something different and those those trailers or those trailers leaked gameplay demos looked about what i expected out of those franchises which i think for most people is what they want out of those games so good 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 Whew. that's it for this week thanks for coming one chore.com is the website like I said, I'm doing some uh, some thoughts, reflections on the YouTube channel stuff. So um, I'm not quite sure when things will start transitioning. But for now, things will keep going per usual, including next week. This week. Doraemon is coming to your ears and eyes through my YouTube channel. I have a video that's going up that's about Doraemon, the Nintendo 64 game, the first Nintendo 64 game, there's three of them, and uh, some relations to Super Mario 64 and how I think there's some cool things that Doraemon does that maybe Mario, 3D Mario games could uh, could benefit from. So if you want to check that video out, that's coming out on uh, Wednesday. And then uh, we're still streaming some Napletail. I think we'll be able to finish Napletail either this week or next week. So... And then I think for October, uh, we might play some Escape from Bug Island. That's what I've been thinking about. Escape from Bug Island sounds like a good October game. 
I did make like a little Halloween background for the stream. So we'll see. Maybe I'll include that for the stream. I've got to fix this background first and foremost, though. So anyways, I'll let you go, though. Um, like I said before, though, if you're listening to this podcast through your ears, even if we split the channel, still listen it through your podcast platforms. Just go search your podcast platforms for one control port. And you can hear it there. The YouTube channel, you can go look at the podcast when it goes live there as well. If you want to look at my face and what messed up green screen I have in the background right now. Um, and then those get unlisted after a week. I'm not sure how the unlisting thing I'll do on the split channel if I do that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then next week I have a Patreon video. I forget what it was, but there's a Patreon video next week. <laughs> I'll talk about it next week, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyways, thank you guys so much, and I hope you have a great week. Bye!